What's up, everybody? This upload is coming to you August 9th, 2017, and you're listening to the Post Money Plan Podcast. My name is Dallas Post, and I am your host for this edition of the Post Money Plan Podcast. I believe empowerment comes through knowledge, so my purpose here is to inform, educate, and stimulate thought on topics within personal finance, economics, and investing. Don't forget, you can find me at postmoneyplan.com or search the Post Money Plan in the iTunes podcast app or in Google Play. Today, we're going to be talking about Venezuela and the economic situation there where they're running into hyperinflation. So I have on the show with me Gus, who is Venezuelan and has family down there and can shed a little bit of light about what's been going on and uh, some of the issues that have caused the situation and the social policies over the last decade, two decades, and what the outlook might be in the future and some of the current events that are going on there. So welcome to the show, Gus. Uh, thank you for having me, Dallas. Glad to be here. Okay, so just to reiterate what we're going to go over, we'll address first the current situation in Venezuela and shed a little bit of light on that, and then ask the question of basically why is this happening and try to address that, and then move on to the background of Venezuela, like talk a little bit about the history and some of the things that have gone on in the past. Then we'll move into more detail about how this actually happened and then debate some of the, the policies and then close it up with the application of what can other countries and people like us learn from this experience that the Venezuelans are going through. So you have family over in Venezuela right now. Tell us a little bit more about you and your family and how you have kind of eyes on the ground and the, your connection to everything there. Well, I'm currently here in the United States studying. My entire family is back in Venezuela, in Caracas, Venezuela, and I got extended family in other parts of the country. We keep in touch through text messaging, WhatsApp, and many other ways, and we're just constantly updating each other on how things are going, how difficult it might be to find certain food items. So we're uh, very up-to-date with the situation that's happening in Venezuela right now. And I could say that's the same for pretty much every Venezuelan that is here in the States or outside of uh, their home country right now. There is a lot of hyperinflation going on. There's a big political and economical crisis where people are struggling just to find daily food items. So what's been a shock to me is that sometimes I talk to people who aren't tapped into global type stuff, and it comes as a surprise to them, and they're just not aware of what's going on there. So one of the things that I really want to do here is just shed some light on what's going on so that people can be aware and concerned and sympathetic for the, the Venezuelan people and also learn from that experience. So... Give us a little bit more about the details of, of what's going on. Like, what has your family told you? Like, when did things start and what's going on with them on a personal level? On a personal level, our family is just like many other families down there, daily just trying to find just basic necessities, food, toothpaste, soap, shampoo, just things that, like, you can find anywhere. Everybody's pursuing those items. There's a lack of everything at the moment. So people continue to communicate through text messages, and when somebody knows that there's a shipment coming of something, then there's a race towards the store that has it. And that's created, at the moment, a parallel market, a black market, where right. people find goods and then just hold them and see how much money they can sell them for. Yeah, that's a crazy situation, which actually kind of reveals the, the topic of hyperinflation, yeah. where money becomes more and more worthless over time, and holding on to items and goods and things like commodities, those become more and more valuable over time because the cash is just having less and less value. So 
people just have such a desperate need for basic supplies because they're so limited. I actually saw a video on YouTube the other day. It was almost like a scene right out of Mad Max. <laughs> there was a mob of motorcyclists that were chasing down a sugar supply truck in Venezuela. They were throwing, I guess, Molotov cocktails at it until eventually the truck stopped and they all start like jumping on and raiding the truck and people start swarming to the truck and taking the sugar, I guess it was. I mean, it, it really is unreal and something you would think you would see in Mad Max, but this is really happening like now in Venezuela. So it, it's horrible. Yeah, 2017 and we're uh, chasing down food supplies and flipping over trucks and doing whatever people need to do so they can get food for the families. There's actually a movie from the early 70s called Soylent Green. And in that movie, it's like this future dystopian world where there's like overpopulation and global warming. So people are crowded living in the streets and have no food. And the government will come in and bring a shipment of manufactured food product every Monday or something. Say it's like Soylent Green Day. It's like this manufactured green vegetable food. There's just this like mad rush every time they bring in the shipment, like everyone's fighting over it. It reminds me of that clip from Venezuela or these other scenes where I've seen other clips where people will be in, I guess it's grocery stores that are supplied by the government. I don't really know how it's set up where they get in a shipment and then everyone's lined up because they're, they're trying to get their ration. And if they start to run out, like everyone starts freaking out, trying to get a share before it runs out, which is not a good situation. <laughs> and to me, it was such a shame. I mean, we can get into this later, but the real shame is that Venezuela in terms of resources, is so rich. It has more oil than any other country in the world. There is no need for there to be poverty in Venezuela when it has more oil than any other country. And you look at Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Qatar, and UAE, how they're spilling over with money because they have so much oil money. And meanwhile, Venezuelans are starving and impoverished. It's a complete injustice to the people there. Yeah, correct. Like you said, there's Venezuelans were very aware of having the largest oil reserves in the world. It's something that you hear even kids in school talking about is a very common topic. But the problem that with that, it comes on entitlement mentality that, hey, since we have all these things, we should be like Dubai. We should be like all these countries that have the latest advancements and technologies and things. We see oil as kind of a cash cow, which it is at the right price is something that generates a lot of income for the country. But um, it's also dangerous because we see it as this golden goose that the moment it stops producing, we start feeling the pain. And that's exactly what we've been feeling for the past um, three to four years now. Okay, just before we move on, let's talk a little bit more about the current situation. So the state of hyperinflation is so bad in Venezuela right now that officially reported inflation is like about 750% a year, which is just unreal to think in the U.S., the Federal Reserve is trying to get American inflation to 2%, 2% a year. And in Venezuela, it's 750%. Your purchasing power is eroding so quickly. People sitting on money is just going to nothing in no time. The economy is basically in cardiac arrest. Like we said, people are starving. There's civil unrest. And they're finally getting to the point where there's, there's actual rioting and protesting where people are resisting the government or saying something's not right here. Because from an outsider's perspective, let me know if I'm wrong, but it seemed like in the early stages back maybe two years ago, 
people were still kind of calm about it and not as mad at the government about it. And now it seems like people have basically said, okay, the government is a big problem and needs to get out of the way. Yeah, um, there's a, I'll say a good amount of people have been displeased with the government maybe since like 10 years ago. But that amount of people has been increasing over time. And part of the Bolivarian Revolution, which is what the government calls itself, named after our, our liberators, Simón Bolívar, the liberator of South America and of Venezuela. And, and that's what they actually named the currency after. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so you'll see states, cities, plazas, there's a lot of things named after him. Our currency is named after him. And you will see uh, they're named the revolution after him in order to fight the, the imperialist U.S. and whatever enemy the government decides to have as main enemy for the revolution. But you will see that with that in mind, over time, the government has promised things that they can deliver, one of them being uh, food and social programs and entitlement programs. The past five years, the government switch started saying something around the lines of, hey, if we can't eat, that's okay. We'll eat rocks so the revolution can survive. And when people <laughs> heard that, there was a big shift towards like, hey, you might want the revolution to survive, but I'm not going to be eating rocks. Like, I'm a human being. And that led to a big shift, having the majority of population realizing that like, hey, the government is no longer for the people. It's definitely just seeking their own interest now if they think we're going to be eating rocks for them. So this is jumping ahead, but I'll kick this while we're going by. To me, it doesn't matter what form of government it is. When people see power in their hands, it's almost impossible for them to say, I will accept something worse than I can grab. This is what we saw with the Soviet Union, where theoretically everyone's supposed to be equal and have equal access to resources. But someone has to administrate that power and that division of resources and then the people that do that end up taking some, if not a lot, for themselves. I was just laughing because of your reference to, you remind me of Animal Farm. Yeah. Some uh, pigs are more equal than others. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's go back to why this is happening. So let me first explain what hyperinflation is so we can understand what is going on. Hyperinflation is where prices are going up extremely quickly. Each time you go to the store, you'll see a higher price on bread or, or everything in there. And why that is, is because the value of the actual thing that you're spending, the dollar, or in, in Venezuela's case, the bolivar, is going down. In economic terms, you know, everything is priced relative to something else. But we just think of everything denominated in, in dollars. Well, if the dollar was worth less, then everything else would be worth more. And so that's basically what hyperinflation is, is when the actual currency... So the bolivars are becoming worth less and less as people have less and less faith in them. And that can happen for a number of reasons. But hyperinflation makes it very difficult to plan for the future because when you're trying to plan for retirement or a business is trying to plan for investments or things like that, you want to know how much you're going to have to pay in the future. And the more prices are changing, the more you're unable to plan for the future, which creates more uncertainty, which makes it harder to invest and plan and, and whatnot. So when people become unwilling to commit to long-term transactions, businesses stop investing, and then the economy seizes up and cash becomes worthless very quickly. Your $1,000 savings today would only buy $133 worth of stuff next year, given Venezuela's inflation of 750%. Mm -hmm. And that's the official inflation, let alone yeah, unofficial, what, what the un higher. unofficial yeah. inflation is. 
what that ends up doing is making people become poor very quickly. Hyperinflation can happen for a number of reasons, but basically, in, in my opinion, it all comes back to the same thing, the same story every time, because it's happened in country after country. If you look at Venezuela now, Zimbabwe in the past, mm. Germany after World War I, it's happened in numerous countries over the last hundred so years. When a country gets itself into debt and has the power to print its own currency, the country is then tempted to print more money to pay for that debt. And if you have access to the printing press and you can print as much of your currency as you want, if you're the guy who makes the monopoly money, you'll make whatever you want so you can buy the properties that you want. And that way you have more buying power than your neighbor next to you who doesn't have access to the printing press for the monopoly money. The problem is then eventually people catch on to it and realize, hey, they're just going to print an unlimited number of these monopoly dollars, so I'm not going to be willing to accept them as much. So when people aren't willing to accept them as much, the amount that they can buy in goods, other things that are non-currency, is much less. And that's basically what happens. So the question is, why did this happen in Venezuela's case? Oh, Dallas, <laughs> we have a lot of reasons. I'm not sure I'm familiar with Zimbabwe and, and Germany. I'm not sure if they particularly had a currency exchange control system like we do at the time. To explain that in simple terms is for a Venezuelan citizen to get any other currency, let's say U.S. dollars or uh, euros or any other international currency, we have to go through the government and ask them for the money. And if the government approves our request, then we're given a certain amount of money. So that forces everybody or the majority of the people to keep their, their savings in Bolivar's and it stops cash flying out of the country, the reserves like leaving the country. The problem with that is that people lose faith in the currency quickly. So we start pursuing other currencies. A lot of people, the moment they get paid, they start calling relatives or people they know that may have US dollars or euros in savings and they begin to trade their money. And you know, people just run towards hard currencies, currencies that keep their purchasing power. Basically anything else, just like quickly trying to get rid of it like a hot potato. Pretty much, pretty much. If you see, um, there's even websites right now that just show how much our currency is losing value on a daily basis. So the moment people get paid, immediately they just go out and try to exchange their money so they can have some type of purchasing power. It's crazy how much the government has control over that because there's the official government rate, exchange rate, mm -hmm. and then there's the black market rate, which is much, much, much higher. Much right? higher, Cause, yeah. Because people want to get rid of them as, as much as they can. So the first one just being the currency exchange control the government has. The second one is that over time, the government has nationalized a lot of private industry and all different industries, food industry, oil industry, car industry, you name it. They nationalize these industries and then just let the state run them. And what happens is like the efficiency of this industry slowly dies and with that production goes away. So all of a sudden we don't have cars, we don't have food, we don't have anything. And do you know the basic law of supply of demand? There's not enough of something and a lot of people want it, the price skyrockets. Now we have a weak currency with not enough basic needs and it's just unleashing hyperinflation in the country. So in my mind, the big triggering event was back three years ago now when oil fell off a cliff. Mm. You had oil go quickly from about $100 all the way down to 60 and then south to 50, 40, 30. But with Venezuela being such a huge oil exporter and one of the main members of OPEC, they were very dependent on oil. 
And Venezuela has always been a big net exporter of oil. Basically, that means that their balance of trade has almost always been positive because they have more exports than imports. And oil exports account for about 95% of all Venezuelan exports. Mm -hmm. And oil sales are over 50% of Venezuela's GDP. So oil is a huge factor in Venezuela's economy. But the thing was, the balance of trade actually went negative in 2009 because of the oil crash. So that kind of showed you how important oil is to Venezuela. It happened again towards the end of 2014 as oil prices fell off a cliff. And if you, if you look at economic data, it's basically been a story. Whatever you see in oil has been a reflection of what's happened to Venezuela over the last couple of years. The GDP has taken a nosedive directly related to oil. Venezuela was producing about two and a half million barrels of oil per day before oil fell in 2014. And the rough math would put that at about $100 billion in annual oil revenue at $110 Brent. But after the collapse to $50 a barrel, you're talking about only $45 billion in annual oil revenue, which is $55 billion less. That's a ton of money that the government is no longer getting. And you got to keep in mind, Dallas, that Venezuela oil is also was called heavy oil. So the price that you see on the market, we have to sell it cheaper than that because it needs to be processed here in the U.S. But Venezuela took a huge hit in, in government revenue. Yeah, definitely. And the Venezuelan GDP before all this happened was about $370 billion in 2013. So $55 billion less in oil revenue on the $370 billion in GDP translates to about a 15% hit to GDP, which is incredibly horrible given the recession in the U.S. in 2009 was a fraction of that. <laughs> so this is really bad. And not only that, but now oil production in Venezuela has fallen from 2.5 million barrels before all this went on to now down to below 2 million barrels a day. So they've also lost production capacity as less money has meant less ability to fund new production, which is kind of a double whammy. Just to summarize that all up, the main catalyst is that Venezuela's economy is heavily dependent on oil exports, and the price of oil has basically halved over the last few years. And it happened very quickly, but it's still down. People thought it would pick up, but it hasn't, and that remains a very big problem for Venezuela. Yeah, that's correct. Just alluding back to what you were saying before about the government nationalizing businesses and taking ownership of, of all the privately owned businesses, when did that start taking place and, and how long has that taken? Uh, the nationalizing of businesses has been going on for a while in Venezuela. It started with Hugo Chavez. This started happening around Chavez's first term. He, um, I'm not joking when I say this, but he used to have a show, I think still around, it's called Hello, Mr. President. And it was every Sunday, and sometimes he'll be on TV pretty much every day of the week. But he would literally go on this TV show and hear somebody saying, Mr. President, the price of milk is too high. We think they might be speculating because everything's speculating down there when the prices are high. And we need to do something about it. And Hugo Chavez used to show up on TV and just say, hey, you know what? Like, that's not right. The people need to have milk. So we're going to send the army and that uh, industry is nationalized. <laughs> and this this will happen all the time. You name the industry, it was just normal. There were shows that he would just walk down the street, point at apartments, 
and say those apartments need to be taken over and be given to the people. And just like that, people will lose their private property. To me, this is a classic case of you would think everyone has the same intentions of we want people to have things. We want people to do well and not be starving and not have food and those kind of things. But people take different philosophies on how you can achieve that. When the price of something goes up, in that case, you know, people can look at that and say, hey, people are forcing the price up when it doesn't need to be up. We'll force it down. We'll make it go down because we'll own it and then we'll set the price of what we sell it at. The problem is that it's very short-term thinking because, yes, you can do that for a short amount of time, but then you have to create new supply. And if you don't have the ability to create new, your arbitrarily low price is then going to be irrelevant when you don't have any later on. Versus if you have a free market, which is setting the price, higher prices will attract more production in the future, which will then bring down the price <laughs> until more people want it, which will bring up the price, which will attract people to produce more of it and bring down the price, which in my opinion is a, a longer term view of things. So the way I see it is it's like short term thinking versus long term thinking. But people both have the same intention. At least I want to hope that the government had good intentions. <laughs> Hopefully they weren't just doing it on purpose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what we, I think everybody has that hope that, you know, when people do things, they do it out of the right intentions. You know, that's part of what the government was trying to do was this Bolivarian revolution was to help the people. Venezuela had a big proportion of people that were below the poverty line. I think the problem becomes when we try to uh, do it by force and forcing people to try to sell products at a certain price. That's just proven over and over again in Venezuela that every time the, the government comes and sets a price control over something, we know that's a product we're going to be running out off pretty soon. We know the people producing it are going to go broke, and there's just going to be a lack of it pretty soon. So we've hit hyperinflation, oil, government nationalization, and all that stuff. But we have plenty more we can talk about, so let's go ahead and cut it off there and pick it up again next week with more on the history leading up to the situation in Venezuela and the government social programs that were put in place that caused a lot of this mess. Thanks for joining us, and catch us next time on another episode of the Post Money Plan Podcast. Mm-hmm.